As we do every Sunday, I want to make you aware of a very, very important aspect of our worship assembly, that is our, our offering, and you are, we make four possible ways for you to worship God with your offering. You can mail a check to our church address, you can give an automatic draft through your bank, which is easy to arrange through your bank, you can go online to our website, on their homepage, there, I think it says give, so it couldn't be any easier, follow the instructions, or for those of you that are with us in person you can drop off your contribution there in the, in the basket. And for those of you that aren't with us in person, those of you that are live streaming, certainly want to welcome you. And I want to give a special shout out, as I've been asked to do this morning, to Emily Harvey, who's watching us from uh, Searcy, Arkansas, there at Harding. We're so glad, certainly, Emily, to have you with you. I won't tell you, have you with us. I won't tell you who asked me to say that. But anyway, we're glad that you're here. I'm going to make this announcement for the last time. And that's kind of like one of those phone calls where you ever get those phone calls, this is your last phone call for your extended warranty, and they keep calling and giving you that last phone call. It just never ends. And so this is really not the last time. You're going to hear me talk about life groups until you're just tired of me hearing me talking about it because Mary did a phenomenal job of expressing to you how important our small group ministry is. But for the last time, I'm going to encourage you today to come to the sign-up table back there if you're not in a life group and sign up in a group if you're in a life group you know someone that's not grab them and say come on I want you to be a part of my group or if you're not in a group and you think I need to start one then come and talk to me about that let's get a group started you're, you can it's an easy thing to do take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 4 Luke 1, 1 through 4. Let's begin with the prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this sacred moment. And Father, it is my prayer, it is our prayer today that this be more than just another Sunday, that this be more than just another church service, that this be more than just another sermon, that this be more than just information that a preacher passes on to a group of people. But God, it is our prayer that we would have a living encounter with you, that you would open Everything there is that could be open in us, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, to see you, to hear you, to know you, and leave here loving you in a greater way. We ask in this moment as we read your words that you tell us are God-breathed. We ask that you would breathe on us these words, breathe them into us, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, take these words and, and transform us that we will not be the same people when we leave today, but we will be more shaped and formed into your image. This is your plan for our lives. Through these words, making us disciples of Jesus Christ. And by these faith-giving words, we ask and we pray that you would create faith in those who are, who are listening 
this morning who do not know you as Lord and Savior to bring them into a saving relationship with you. This is our prayer. And so instead of me saying amen, we will continue in prayer and let you now speak to us through these words in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So today we began a a new sermon series from the New Testament book of Luke. And this series is going to set the stage for, and it's going to lead us into our, our Christmas Advent series in December. So just as I set a, a world record for the most sermons likely ever preached from Jude, I'm going to be setting a num- another world record today that I'm probably the first preacher to start the Advent series in October Getting a head start even, even before the radio stations start playing the songs. And then as we, as we move into January and into the new year, we're continuing, Luke, and we're going to let this incredible gospel message of Jesus take us into April. It's going to take us into what we call the Passion Week, the final week. And it will lead us into a climactic celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today as we begin this series, I want to do two things. First of all, with the use of Luke's prologue here in verses 1 through 4, I simply want to introduce this gospel of Luke. And then secondly, through this introduction, I want to to invite you into this journey that I pray will be a life-changing journey for all of us as we follow Jesus through this story. And I think the most important thing we can do as we start this series is to discover the overarching theme or the the main point of Luke's gospel, why he wrote this gospel, because when you get that in place, then you better understand what you're reading as you work your way through the gospel. We don't have to speculate or wonder what in the world he's trying to say. We don't have to read very far to figure out what Luke's main point is. He makes it very clear right out of the gate in verse 4. Where he says that he's writing his gospel account of Jesus. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So let me just ask you. Do you have certainty of your faith? Do you, do you have certainty of anything? The brilliant genius of the past century, Albert Einstein, once said, the only thing we can be certain of is this in life, is that we can be certain of nothing. And then... Building on this idea of the supposed uncertainty of faith, the famous atheist Richard Dawkins 
wrote these words. He says, you know, faith is believing in spite of evidence. I mean, you can't be sure. You just believe. I mean, there's no evidence, but you believe. That's Christian faith. God disagrees. Hebrews chapter 11, most of you know it well. In our teen class this morning, we looked at that, that, we looked at that passage where there we read that faith is being sure. It's not hoping simply that, man, no, this is being sure of what we hope for. And he goes on to say it's certain of what we do not see. If you're reading from the King James Version, it says it is the evidence. There is evidence of things not seen. And so here as Luke opens his gospel account calling us into a faith in Jesus Christ, he makes it clear that this is a certain faith that is anchored in facts and evidence. In Luke's gospel, we are given evidence that demands a verdict. And that's actually the title of a famous book on apologetics written by Josh McDowell. That's the book of Luke, long before Josh McDowell was born. Luke is going to set out to show us undeniable evidence that calls his readers to decide, to make a verdict on the claims of Jesus Christ. And I love the Greek word here for certainty. It's the word asphales. We get an English word from that. It means undoubted truth. It means firm, stable, not liable to fall. And so from this word asphales, we get the English word asphalt. And so as Luke introduces this gospel story of Jesus, he makes it clear what you're about to hear is not a fairy tale, it's not a myth, it's not a legend. Luke is not asking you to close your eyes and jump off into a blind faith. He's not asking you to park your brain at the door of the church building and step into this ethereal world of blissful feelings and reflection and meditation. Luke's objective for his readers is to present evidence that will lay in us an asphalt foundation of a certainty of faith in Jesus Christ upon which we can stand. And so here in, in, in his prologue in these four verses, he gives us four, we're going to look at these four pillars upon which his certainty of his gospel is established. Four pillars. First of all, I believe that the certainty of what is written in this gospel is based upon the author himself, who is Luke. Who was Luke? Well, we know that he was a highly educated doctor. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4 refers to him not only as a physician, but the beloved physician. And so it's clear as you read through the Gospel of Luke that he writes like a doctor. As a matter of fact, Luke uses more precise medical terms in his Gospel than in the writings of Hippocrates, who was considered to be like the father of medicine. I find it fascinating that this prologue of four verses in the original language of Greek is one long run-on sentence. In English, we would say, that is terrible grammar, Luke, but not in the Greek language. Here, Luke writes in these four verses, one sentence that is polished, sophisticated, eloquent, classical Greek. And that's really interesting because from verse 5 and on, he then steps more into the common Greek of the common man, which is koine. Greek, but it's clear as you continue to read through this gospel 
that this guy's smart. You ever open a book and then, oh man, this guy's brilliant. He has a mastery of the language. Luke uses hundreds of words in his gospel that are not used in any other New Testament letter or book in the Bible. Also from Luke, we know that he wrote a second volume. Volume 1 is the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Volume 2 is the book of Acts. And when you read volume 2, the book of Acts, we discover that Luke was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. He was a... And Paul was a missionary, and so Luke was a fellow missionary. And so Kimmel and Lisa, as you are our, our medical missionaries in Guatemala, you are in good company with Luke. He was a, a medical missionary. It's likely believed, most scholars believe, that, that Luke was a personal physician of the Apostle Paul. And so this is important because this tells us that Luke lived during the time of and was personally acquainted with, the, with these first disciples of Jesus Christ. And he knew those who were, who were eyewitnesses to the life and the teachings of Jesus. There are some scholars who even believe that Luke was closely associated with Mary, who was the mother of, of Jesus. And that's why we read in chapters 1 and 2 that there's so many details about Mary's the conception of Jesus and his birth. I think it's absolutely beautiful and very telling of Luke. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, after many years of traveling with the Apostle Paul, and those were not easy travels. It was hard life. Read the book of Acts. At the end of it all, as the Apostle Paul is now in Rome, and he knows that he's soon to be executed because of his faith, he writes his letter in 2 Timothy to Timothy and he says only Luke is with me. Though others had deserted Paul for fear of their own lives and that's understandable Luke couldn't leave. He stayed there by Paul's side and so this guy was a, a loyal, faithful, courageous friend. And so you see that in this prologue as this letter was written from one friend to Theophilus, friend of Luke. We also know that Luke was a Gentile. And if you're well, a Gentile, that means he was non-Jewish. Or that means in our common day terms, Luke was an unchurched guy. He was the only Gentile author, the only unchurched guy who wrote a letter or a book in the New Testament. Something, though, and someone got a hold of him. The gospel message penetrated his life so much so that he couldn't help but be compelled to write about Jesus. He couldn't help but be compelled to travel and to give his life with the Apostle Paul, sharing the story of Jesus. His example is a call for us to make disciples of all nations, to share what we have learned. And what you're going to find as you read through the Gospel of Luke, and you should, I want to encourage you to in this series, that as a Gentile writer, he had a, a soft spot for the underdog. He had a soft spot for the, the unchurched people who were 
not a part of the Jewish religious establishment. And so you put all these details together about Luke. He was a highly educated physician with a Gentile background, alive during the time of these eyewitnesses of the life and the teaching of Jesus. And it all comes together to, to give a sense of credibility to the certainty of what he's going to write. But I believe also as a pillar of the certainty of his gospel, Luke tells us in chapter 1 and verse 1 that what he is writing to us is an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Secondly, this shows us the certainty of what he is going to write it is the fulfillment. That is, that, is, that is so incredibly huge, so significant that this story of Jesus is not something that he invented nor something that began in the first century, but it is the culmination, it is the fulfillment of all of Old Testament history that was pointing to the first century when the Messiah would come. All of these hundreds of prophecies that were giving detailed prophecies pointing to the Messiah, all of which were fulfilled in detailed accuracy of this person of whom Luke is going to write about. And so you're going to see this in his gospel. He's constantly pointing back again and again up to the history of the Old Testament, to the prophecies of the Old Testament, telling us, you see what I'm telling you here? This is what was foretold 500, 1,000 years earlier, all strengthening the credibility of the certainty of what he is going to write. Thirdly, in his prologue, Luke gives credibility to the certainty of his gospel account through the mention of his, of his sources. Where did he get his information? Well, it wasn't from a, a guru or a spiritist from Manitou Springs smoking pot with his legs crossed on the side of a mountain, receiving revelations from the planets and, and the stars. Luke tells us about his sources in verses 1 and 2. He mentions how many other accounts of Jesus' life and story had been hand, handed down by those who were eyewitnesses. And I love this expression, servants of the word. May we all be servants of the word. This information had been given to him by servants of the word and by eyewitnesses. And so Luke makes it clear, I'm not the first guy to write about Jesus. There had been many other accounts. As a matter of fact, it's highly likely Matthew and Mark at this time had already been written and Luke had these two gospels at his disposal. The phrase servants of the Lord no, excuse me, servants of the word very likely refers to those who handed down the message through what is known of as oral tradition. This is the, the verbally, verbal telling of the story, which we may think, well, how credible can that be? In Luke's day, that held more authority and was considered to be more reliable of a source than written documents. Luke's sources were eyewitnesses. And if you date the Gospel of Luke, it was somewhere in the early 60s. That tells us these eyewitnesses clearly were still alive when Luke was writing this. They were alive at the time when they could have been people who'd heard and seen the story of Jesus. In our modern day court of law, we make huge decisions, life and death decisions. And we determine their truth and certainty by an event of eyewitness testimony. Our history books are filled with stories and events that we believe, but we did not see them. 
but we know them to be true from, from eyewitness accounts given to us by reputable individuals. This gospel of Luke is not just some random guy who learned a few things from a couple of articles on Facebook. There's some credible sources here. And, and of all of the sources that Luke had, obviously, the Holy Spirit is the greatest source. We as Christians believe, as, as Timothy was told in 2 Timothy from Apostle Paul, that all scriptures I prayed as God breathed. This is coming from God. We believe, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter, that Luke and all other writers of, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, they weren't just making this up. These aren't cleverly invented stories, but this is the work of God by the Holy Spirit leading Luke, leading the writers. And so you take the work of the Holy Spirit, you take the eyewitness accounts that were at Luke's disposal. And you have a strong case that when you step into this book, you're stepping on asphalt of certainty of this story. I think also lending to the credibility of what Luke is going to write is, is what we would call Luke's methodology. In verse 3, he speaks of having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and then he said, in writing an orderly account. This book was written by one whose occupation relied upon precision and research. Luke was huge. You read his gospel. He was huge on precise details. When you read the gospel of Luke, it's not about someone, somewhere, sometime, who said this to someone. Luke records events of Real people, in real places, in real times. I'm sorry, this is not a story of unicorns flying over rainbows or, or of Easter bunnies, nor of mythical Greek deities who existed in the clouds. Luke reads like a, like a historical narrative recording facts that are verified today by archaeological. You can see it. You can touch it. Evidence. Luke is regarded as one of the most important historians of the ancient world. So much so that, that as you read through Luke, you think if he was sharing inaccurate information, he was certainly setting him up himself up to be found out as false because he gave so many detailed faults. People would say, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. As a matter of fact, and it's such an attempt was made against Luke many years ago. It's an incredible story. In the mid-1850s, 18, in, in the there was a brilliant, renowned Scottish scholar, historian, and archaeologist named Sir William Ramsey. He was an atheist. He did not believe in the Bible. And the reasons he didn't believe in the Bible simply was, wasn't because he didn't believe in God, but he believed that the Bible was full of inconsistencies. You've heard people say that. Full of contradictions and filled with inaccuracies. And so he decided, I'm going to put an end to this completely. And I'm going to prove that the Bible is not true. And I'm going to show its inaccuracies. And so he decided to pick the two books in the New Testament that have the most details of geography and history in them and he's going to prove 
their inaccuracy. And so he picked the Gospel of Luke and he picked the book of Acts, which is volume two of Luke's writings. He studied these two books. He studied their history. And as an archaeologist, he went to the geographical sites all for the point of disproving easily what Luke had written. But after his research and his findings of all that Luke wrote, he came to this conclusion that Luke and Acts do not have one single historical inaccuracy. And he discovered that not only was Luke a great historian, but that Luke was, and I quote Sir William Ramsey, Luke was a historian of the first rank. He found Luke to be one of the most, if not the most, trustworthy historians of the ancient world. And as a result, Sir William Ramsey became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and became a writer and a defender of the Christian faith and of the certainty of the Christian faith. There's a similar story some of you are familiar with of the popular author of our day, Lee Strobel. He too was an atheist. And he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And so he set out to disprove the Bible and the Christian faith using his professional skills of excellence in, in reporting and investigative skills. But after investigating the facts of the Christian faith, he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ because of the facts, because of the evidence, and because of the working of the Holy Spirit and that whole process. Luke's gospel is the original, the case for Christ. That was Lee Strobel's book. He set out with a series of books on apologetics. But that's Luke's intention. It aims to present a rational basis for the certainty of the Christian faith. Though the story of Jesus, <laughs> it just seems incredible if you've ever read it. And though the story of Jesus is just like unbelievable, Luke shows us that what is incredible is credible. What is unbelievable is believable. And so to his friend Theophilus and to us, he writes his account of the life and the teachings of Jesus so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Evidently, Theophilus, like most of us, he'd heard these things. He had been taught these things. But he needed, he needed in this moment, a certainty of these things. Don't we all? I, I believe that our pandemic, and we talked about this last week, this crazy journey we're on. It is not only, we talked about this for the past, past two weeks, it's not only shifted and challenged and caused us to doubt or redefine church, questioning church, but I believe that this pandemic has shifted our understanding and our perception of faith causing us to redefine and question our Christian faith. Our, our world has been rocked. The certainties of our world 
have been rocked. And things that we could count on, things that we knew were certain, we soon discovered are not actually so certain. And then you couple that with, as Christians, we like Luke and and Theophilus, the recipient of, of his gospel, like in their day, we looked at this in Jude, they faced attacks against their faith again and again and again. They faced discouragements to their faith and all this work to discredit and disprove the certainty of our faith. And there's something we need to help us be reminded of that. So let me ask you, what are you, what are you certain of in your life? Are you certain of your job? Are you certain of your house? Are you certain of your health? Are you certain of your marriage? Are are you certain of your children's future? Are you certain of your financial future? Are you certain of your government? Are you certain of your vaccination? Are you certain of your mask? Do you have certainty of yourself? Are you certain of your forgiveness? Are you certain of your salvation? Do you have certainty? In what or in whom do you place your confidence and certainty? Albert Einstein was a brilliant genius of the 20th century. And he got many things right. But with confidence I can say he at least got one thing wrong. When he stated, the only thing we can be certain of in this life is that we can be certain of nothing. Luke says, oh no. You can be certain of this. Of Jesus Christ and your faith in Him. A few days ago, as I was preparing for this series, I sat down early one morning with a cup of coffee in my Bible and, and I just spent the better part of two hours immersing myself in this gospel and just reading through it completely. And it was, it was an incredible experience, but I want you to know it was more than, wow, those are, that's some really good evidence, those are some really good facts and a lot of good details that are strengthening my faith. There was more than that. It was really similar to the experience that we're going to see in April when we get to Luke 24 of these two men to whom Jesus spoke, the risen Lord. And as he's speaking to them and after the conversation of these two individuals, they asked each other, it says, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That, that was my experience. And I believe you will experience this as well if you will immerse yourself into these God-breathed words, the Gospel of Luke. In this world filled with uncertainties, God speaks to us by His Spirit through the Gospel of Luke that we 
may have certainty in Christ. Certainty in our faith in Christ, which in turn gives certainty to our lives that we so desperately need that serves, as the Hebrew writer tells us, as an anchor for our souls. So I, I, I just want to invite you into this journey. I want to encourage you as we walk through Luke to, to begin reading through this gospel on your own. I would even encourage you to do what I did. It was an incredible experience. Just read through the whole gospel starting out in one setting. And then in next time when you meet in your life group, have you guys in your life groups share that together. And then I would encourage you to be here on Sunday morning, as, as Sunday mornings as we journey through Luke. And I would encourage you to fill these chairs with those in our community who do not know of Christ, that we could be as Luke and sharing this life-changing message of the gospel through this journey. Would you stand with me as we pray? Well, Father, we as we embark on this series, as we walk through the gospel of Luke, may it be the Emmaus walk that we read of in Luke 24. Oh, may you, may you open the scriptures by the working of your spirit may, to such a degree that it causes our hearts within us to burn. And may you, through this encounter with Jesus Christ, Shape us and form us more into your image. May you make in us disciples. And may you bring to faith those who do not know you. God, we ask this of you in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.